Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this episode, we discuss The Mummy and National Treasure. The Mummy was released in 1999, directed by Stephen Summers. International Treasure was released in 2004, directed by John Turtletob. Hello, movie friends, and welcome back to the show. This is Anthony. And this is James. Today, we're going to be doing some fun adventure films, a couple of guilty pleasure movies as well, The Mummy and National Treasure. And I think particularly The Mummy is one of my all-time favorite adventure films. It's just such a blast. It's like iconic and, and so nostalgic and it reminds me so much of the Indiana Jones franchise. Yeah, this is a time when the big uh, swashbuckling adventure, swashbuckling, uh, Pirates was coming out, you know, National Treasure had a few movies, The Mummy had a few movies, and so we had these epic, fun, family-friendly, just adventure movies that are just a good time. They don't take themselves too seriously, and they all have, like, unique takes, whereas The Mummy, we love ancient cultures, and I was obsessed with ancient Egypt when I was in school. Yeah, we, we, we were yeah. so obsessed with ancient Egypt that we had our own canopic jars. Like, yeah. they were, like, nice little mini canopic jars that we begged our parents to get us for, like, Christmas or something. But those are my favorite subjects to study in history class, like the, the months when we would do ancient Egypt and mm -hmm. learn about the culture and we built like the sugar cube pyramids yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and dressed up as the the, the ancient gods and yeah. stuff and learned all about that but the culture is fascinating because Egypt was one of the greatest um, countries to exist in history and what they did back then with their architecture with their economy was really second to none aside from Rome. Plus the mystery behind their spirituality their religions and I mean still to this day we don't know how they built the pyramids no one knows how they did it. Mm -hmm. And also, the mysteries behind like the Sphinx, where they say it's like 2000 BC was when the Sphinx was put there, but there's water erosion on there, and there, there wasn't water in that desert in Egypt in, until like 10,000 BC. And apparently there was something on top of the Sphinx that they was destroyed. So like I, the mystery of ancient cultures and even the American history that's covered in National Treasure, which obviously is fantasized, I mean... Sensationalized. sensationalized but there are still a lot of mysterious things about america in terms of the way they laid out washington dc you could get into like a rabbit hole of all these conspiracy yeah, theories the masonic temples the freemasons and, yeah, and everything and i mean all those the creators of the country were in these secret societies and that's what i love about the the national treasure is the secret societies versus versus the ancient culture of ancient egypt yeah i think if national treasure wasn't such a big hit then the vinci code never would have probably come out because it's very similar. I don't know. The Da Vinci Codes, the books by those books by Dan Brown are wildly popular. Those yeah. are some of the highest selling books of all time. Like two of them are in like the top ten, I think, of the really? last two decades. Dude, oh my god, he moves he moves a lot of units. I I do remember when Da Vinci Code came out, everyone got it. Like it's everyone like, yeah. was talking it's about like it. It's like the Harry Potter, the uh, Fifty Shades of Grey books, and the Dan Brown books, like top ten. Like and then, those in the Bible. <laughs> not, not even the Bible's in the top ten anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> but I mean, that's the way culture has changed, you know. <laughs> but I I was. Always fascinated with Egypt, and it's really cool. We don't. A lot of people would be surprised to know that there's actually there's actually a lot of greenery, a lot of farmland in Egypt, and their irrigation system was very complex back then. And they had a ton of agriculture there, mm -hmm. and uh, the the major cities were actually pretty lush. It wasn't all just dry desert that we might assume. And also, my favorite fact about the pyramids is that they were actually smooth. And they, what was the uh, mineral? I believe it was limestone. Limestone, like smooth white limestone was the surface of the pyramids, and they also had the golden tips. But over time, um, robbers took the valuable min minerals, but they also used 
minerals from the limestone of the smooth cover of the pyramids to build new structures. Well, because there was a, I think there was a war, and so like the city was destroyed. Yeah. And so they had to rebuild it, so they used the stones from the pyramids. And there was a lot of architecture that was just completely destroyed and taken to build new structures afterwards. But so. still, I think that's the thing about these movies is like the mystery elements of it. Like, I mean, mm. the, the ultimate adventure films like Indiana Jones, especially The Mummy. I mean, in National Treasure, we have treasure maps. We're exploring ancient temples and ruins or, or not super ancient with the National Treasure films, like a couple hundred year old temples and secrets of these old societies and pasts. And just, I love the blend of these two films. They complement each other so much with the ancient culture and the modern old culture because ancient, I think, that, that classifies as like around BC probably. Yeah. So, and also these are, they owe everything to Indiana Jones. 100%. Indiana, Indiana Jones created this genre. Like the, before Indiana Jones, the action adventure um, investigating these ancient ruins wasn't a thing. I wouldn't say they invented the genre. They just kind of modernized it. There were still adventure films. I mean, The Mummy is based off the 1932 film, The Mummy. Yeah, but that was a horror movie. True, I'm talking about like swashbuckling, swashbuckling. adventure, <laughs> international like travel True. movies. Like Indiana Jones created that. Yeah, you're right. But before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast is to share us with your family and friends or become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast. Patrons get perks like personalized videos, podcast schedule so you can see ahead of time if we were doing an episode on the mummy and national treasure top tier patrons get monthly shout outs on the podcast which we will do in a couple episodes for the next month and the best perk of all is every patron no matter if you're the two dollar five dollar ten dollar tier you have access to our weekly patreon only bonus episodes which post every tuesday head on over to our website raiders of the lost podcast.com to see all of our content our merch our custom movie posters follow subscribe wherever you're listening thank you so much for tuning around the world and we appreciate you so much Let's get back into The Mummy then and uh, National Treasure. And what makes them so great also are the leads. You have Nick Cage, who is a, his, himself a National Treasure. Yeah, <laughs> National I mean, National Treasure, the movie's a National Treasure, but Nick Cage is also a National Treasure. Love the guy, and especially his recent spew of like really weird, crazy, interesting movies. Mm -hmm. But he was a huge star. He was doing Jerry Bruckheimer movie after Jerry Bruckheimer movie. He was doing a ton of big movies you had con air you know the rock these two like he was doing a ton of them and he did eventually get tired of working on big sets and on working in huge productions the pressure of it the exactness of the the creativity where he wasn't able to like stretch his acting chops just say what's on the line what's on the page and don't add anything else to it so i think he he got sick of it and that's why he's doing all these weird movies now and then also brendan fraser was an icon when he and he was we grew up on his movies, and we loved him, and I think he really made The Mummy what it was. He was launched into the stratosphere with The Mummy and then The Mummy franchise because all three of his trilogy of The Mummy movies were very successful movies, even though number two and number three aren't great films. Still very successful. And, I mean, the franchise itself, they spawned The Scorpion King, which came out in, I think, 2001. And then also they tried to reboot The Mummy with Tom Cruise, which was a huge missed opportunity because they Universal was trying to do a dark universe Universe, mm -hmm. And they were going to reboot all their monster movies like Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, Creature from the Black Lagoon, the Invisible Man, Bride of Frankenstein, and the Mummy. The Mummy was atrociously bad. It bombed. But the Invisible Man is the one bright light that is kind of keeping that possibility alive. But the Elizabeth Moss Invisible Man was not part of their plan. Yeah. They, Johnny Depp was going to play the Invisible Man. In terms of the story that yeah, they did. And it was going to be a big movie. And then because of the failure of the Mummy... They kind of rethought their entire idea of the universe and 
they went to the they they're now going with the route of let's make small independent movies that aren't connected in the universe. We don't need to do a, an Avengers Marvel universe for the for this dark universe. And so the Invisible Man was a fantastic movie. I've said many times it was my second favorite movie last year after The Father. But also The Mummy with Tom Cruise, it was missing fun. It was missing humor. It was fist, it was missing. That adventure escapism. It was too silly. Too dark at times. He gets superpowers at the end of the film. Yeah. It's just like, what What are we doing here? Yeah, and it, 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 was very, it was pretty dark for a lot of it, and just it wasn't very in, in, interesting or entertaining at all. So they they missed what made the Brendan Fraser movies so much fun. He, and Brendan Fraser, I think, as Rick O'Connell, is the closest thing to Indiana Jones we've had as in terms of the character and performance. He has the charm. He has the action chops. He has the wit. And he just has that intangible charm that uh, Harrison Ford has. And also what I love about his character Rick O'Connell in terms of Indiana Jones he's got like a very similar like outfit, a character wardrobe yeah. to Indy but it's revamped and so it's different, it's the same like era basically. It's the, more of a military esque yeah. version of the Indiana Jones But his Jones wardrobe outfit. is iconic, like if you saw someone at a Halloween costume dressed as Rick O'Connell you'd be like, that's the guy from the mummy, That's yeah. I can spot just, that. Just get a wig with parted hair. Yeah, whereas good. The same thing with Indy. You you get the costume like that. You know that's what I love about and it. And for Rick, his he has the guns in in terms of Indy having the whip. Yeah. So those are the the he two does pack. use a gun sometimes. Yeah, but it's never his own. He never carries a gun. But the adventure movies are still so fun. It's a broad category adventure, and I think the Mummy between National Treasure and the Mummy is the one that really captures that magic that Indiana Jones does with the adventure genre that Indy mastered. Not that National Treasure isn't a great adventure, but it's not really in that I think it's not really that close in terms of quality of a film. Well, you're traveling to like Philadelphia. Yeah, but still, the, <laughs> it's the not film, like the, you're going to Cairo. The filmmaking, I mean, though, it's oh, not. Yeah, yeah. It's not quite there. Yeah, yeah, I just think also I think the sets have a lot to do with it. Yeah. and the international travel of the mummy. But I mean, it's not like the cinematography is blowing you away. In National Treasure, come on, no, it, it's it, not. But adventure films, you know, they come out every year. But I, you could probably say that Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. And The Mummy are the two definitive adventure films of the 21st century. You could say Lord of the Rings, but I, that's an absurd level of filmmaking and all the fancy elements. That's I a lot more than just adventure. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't strictly put that in and, the adventure yeah, category. No way. It has yeah. intense themes and it's, yeah. it's mean, it has a lot of meaning behind it. And National Treasure is almost there. It's it's not quite like a brilliantly made movie like The Mummy. I think is. It has its. It has its pretty uh, slow moments and yeah. it has a couple of silly moments that yeah. kind of take you out of it but otherwise it's, it's a hit yeah but let's get into the mummy first how about that yeah we did a vote on our instagram to see which our audience liked better and it was a very close vote but the mummy won what was it 52 percent to 48 percent actually last the... time i checked the national treasure went down to 42 percent okay and so the mummy's at 58 percent i honestly thought it was gonna be like 90 10 the mummy i thought it was gonna be neck and neck but i i did know that i felt that the mummy would win for sure i was i was i guess i underrated how much people like national treasure not that i don't love national treasure people love it national yeah. treasure is like the perfect like i feel like crap today i'm hungover i just yeah. need to buy I just watching the cage i need to spend some time watching some watching an adventure film and also what i love about these movies is it's before superheroes yeah it's before everything that came out in the summer well, was a there were superheroes but i know but i'm talking like every eu yeah, i'm talking and every MC month there's a superhero movie MCU this sorry. is when all that was coming out was Spider-Man and X-Men and that was it Blade 
Blade was before this. No, Blade was coming out. I guess yeah. Blade, Blade. So I just, I just proved your point completely wrong. Wow, you just shattered my there life. Are multiple superhero <laughs> franchises. How will I recover? I don't know. No one will ever take me seriously again. Never. I don't take you seriously ever. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. This is like it, these were the big summer movies: mm -hmm. The Mummy, The National Treasure, Pirates. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it wasn't, no superpowers. It's it's great. I love it. Yeah. And so the I don't even say The Mummy has superpowers. <laughs> I didn't say that. I was gonna say who directed it. My goodness, so defensive today. <laughs> <laughs> the Mummy was written and directed by Stephen Summers. The story was also done by Lloyd Fonville and Kevin Jarr. It was a remake of the 1932 film of the same name at an archaeological dig in the ancient city of Hamanatra. An American serving in the French Foreign Legion accidentally awakens a mummy who begins to wreak havoc as he searches for the reincarnation of his long-lost love. This was an $80 million budget, and it was super successful, $415 million worldwide. I read that <laughs> Stephen Summers, the director... The day after the movie came out, that next morning, Universal called him and said, we need another one. Yeah, I think it probably had like a $60, $70 million weekend yeah, opening, which is huge, huge back then. I remember waiting in line for it at the theater. Oh, this is a great movie to see in theaters. Now, I remember when I was a kid, I was like kind of nervous. I was like, this looks scary, but it also is scary. looks awesome. It is. That's what's great about the movie is it doesn't um, water down anything. It, it, there are really scary moments, and the CGI of the mummy is really fantastic. They yeah. knocked it out of the park. It looks Great. Yeah, it still holds up pretty well. Yeah, much better than the sequels. But the, the Mummy Returns, the CGI is atrocious. It's laughably bad, especially when we see the Scorpion King towards the end and yeah. his, his reincarnation with CGI. It looks worse than like Madden 1998 <laughs> video <laughs> there, game. I think there are two reasons for it. First of all, Industrial Light and Magic did the first one. Mm -hmm. So that's George Lucas's company. And they didn't do the second one. And also, this being so successful, and like how I said, the studio exec called up Summers was like, we need one ASAP. They, I think they put a, a release date on the second one before they even started writing the script. Probably. And so, and same thing that happened with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. The CGI is not that great compared to the second one, and it's only a year apart because they rushed it just to meet the release date. Therefore, they were unable to make the CGI look good, and they just had to make it look adequate. So I think that's why... Even though Returns came out two years later, the CGI looks like it's 10 years older. It's so bad. Yeah. Not even just the mummy being horrible and the Scorpion King. The shots of Egypt. The green screen behind them when they're on oh, like, yeah. the blimp floating. It's It looks worse than a, if you put a matte painting behind them. It's so bad. But you can argue when we saw the movie, we loved it. And we didn't think it looked bad. Yeah, I mean, bad. we were 11. Yeah. But so. that's who the movie's made for. True. So you're right. It's fine. They, I think they understood, like, kids are go kids want to see this movie. They don't care about the, what the CGI looks yeah, like. Nowadays, they do. Yeah. Well, I mean, all kids' cartoons are CGI yeah. now. They're not even cartoons anymore. But, I mean, the CGI holds up pretty well with The Mummy. and I think very well. I think The Mummy looks fantastic, especially the con the, like the concept where he's comes back to life and he, d he needs to start gathering those organs and, and getting them from the canopic jars that the Americans have taken and he gradually becomes more and more of a man you could say and mm -hmm. the CGI looks best great when he's like changing form basically each time yeah and the design the original design of the mummy is really excellent it's very scary yeah and his voice is terrifying but also like the way he moves is kind of an animated like his jaw like unhinges left mm -hmm. and right and how the scarabitos are always crawling around him it's excellent excellent monster design because the first one is very scary the, the original mummy it was terrifying for audiences they mm -hmm. had rarely seen anything that scary like that nosferatu and that was a time when universal was making a ton of monster movies yeah and so the mummy the original from 1932 it's pretty similar plot imhotep has been excavated and the the people reading the the engravings and reading the curse by accident awakening him and then Emo and then Imhotep disguises himself as an Egyptian in the movies him trying to resurrect his lover Anuxana Moon so basically 
it's it's a, it's probably you could say the mummy and the mummy returns in a way in one movie kind of. Well, that's the that, that sounds like the plot of just the mummy. Yeah, true, but also yeah. in the second one we learn more about their that's relationship. The, that's the weakness with the second one. They did the same thing. Yeah. Well, the thing that I think that was a huge missed opportunity with Universal in terms of the mummy sequels is why do a mummy sequel? Why not take um, Rick and Evelyn O'Connell oh, and do yeah. like a monster universe yeah. where like yeah they did the mummy they solved that now they're going to do like Dracula and Transylvania or they're gonna do Frankenstein and like they could have done like the Lorraine and Ed from The Conjuring yeah it's like a like a couple who's going to solve all these like monster mysteries that is a great idea wouldn't that have been so much better Universal where are you where's our call just, where's the phone they call? just want bags of money man yeah they want they need another mummy movie you yeah. know what I mean because the second the third mummy movie it's not in Egypt you know it's, yeah. a, it's an, a Chinese uh tomb a Chinese mummy per se Mm-hmm. So they could have definitely done that. That would have been excellent. That would have been so sick. I would yeah. I would see and then they, they, they could have done the monster universe that way. They could have done so many different monsters. Yeah. They, they could have done, done all they the, could invisible have done the invisible man. man. Yeah. I mean, have Evelyn go like, we need Evelyn to extract Dracula from this castle or something. Yeah. I don't know. She needs to read these ruins. That's a great idea. But yeah. also Evelyn, I think she's such a great contrast to Rick. That the characters are also what makes this movie. Rick O'Connell with Evelyn uh, uh, is excellent and because she's all the brains and he's all the brawn, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And their chemistry together is really great. For for a big movie and two lead actors, their chemistry is excellent. Yeah, Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz are phenomenal. Their chemistry is off the charts. Rick O'Connell, he's like the ultimate protagonist who becomes a better man at the end of the film versus what he was at the beginning. Beginning, He's a former soldier turned treasure hunter. He's brave, heroic, but also flawed in a lot of ways. He's very selfish and arrogant. He has been to Hamanoptra, so he's their guy to get there. And... Evelyn is also impossibly charming, just like Rick, but in her own way. She's actually based on Evelyn Beauchamp, who was a real Egyptologist, and her father was a famous Egyptologist, too, in the 1930s. Her father excavated Amotep's tomb in 1929. And Evelyn's very articulate. She's intelligent and educated. She's also recklessly fearless, where she gets herself into trouble because she always wants to do things that, you know, she probably should think twice about. Mm -hmm. And her only flaw, really, is probably clumsiness. I am a librarian. And then the the original disbelief in the impossible, you could say. Yeah. Because she accidentally, you could say ignorantly, um, awakens Emotep. With the, from reading from the Book of the Dead. It feels like her role is, is like Audrey Hepburn could have played it 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She has that same quality as Audrey in this movie. Yeah. And just that clumsiness when she, I love when she knocks down all the bookshelves yeah. in, in that row. It's so funny because um, Evelyn, like, Evelyn in the library knocks down all the bookshelves in the cases. Then in Mummy Returns, her son knocks down all the pillars inside that yeah. tomb. So they, she's just like her, he's just like his mother in yeah. a way. And it's very classical filmmaking. And I love, like, that set is so much fun. And they, they did that in one take, that entire scene, because it would have taken another entire day just to redress the set after the bookshelves. And they really did all fall down. No need for special effects. Just let's do it for real. Why not? Let's do it. Let's go. And then we have Jonathan, Evelyn's brother, who's brilliant comic relief, and every joke he says lands in these movies. He's very funny. But uh, Jonathan is obsessed with very shiny things. He's always got his fingers out looking for gold or something, and it often gets him into trouble. And he's just really going to Hominoptera for the treasure. You mm-hmm. know, yeah, his sister's going, but he's he just wants some money. Yeah. And then Oded Fair is a Meji member, and the Meji are basically the protectors of Hominoptera, and they're his name's Arith Bay in the movie. Oh, that's the yeah. that's the actor yeah, yeah. Oded yeah. Fair. Sorry, but he, the Meji. Are their their purpose in life, and they're like a secret society, you could say, of warriors who defend Amenoptera and are trying to prevent Emotep from ever rising. And that those men are supposed to be tattooed from head to foot, like completely covered in tattoos. Mm-hmm. But uh, the director Stephen Summers said that 
uh, he was so handsome they didn't want to cover his face with tattoos. Good looking guy. Good looking guy. Yeah. And, and then, also he's famous for being um, an induced Bigelow male gigolo. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like the original. Yeah, he takes our, gigolo, he right? takes his clients That's when he leaves. Right. That's so funny. <laughs> and then Emotep, who in Nine, in 1290 BC, Amotep was the high priest of Osiris under the rule of Pharaoh Seti I, had an affair with Seti's mistress, mistress Anuxanamun. And actually, there was a real Emotep, which we just referenced earlier, and he was um, one of the main advisors of the pharaoh at the time, and he was an architect. He was practiced the, he, medicine. He designed most of the pyramids. He was, think, the, he was their most accomplished architect. I think he was the first person to art, to develop the pyramids. The yeah. first pyramids were developed by him. Uh, and, uh, he was regarded as the, the probably the most brilliant Egyptian ever. And so that was, he was around in 2600 BC, most notably the pyramid of Joser as Zakara. And so yeah, he was actually a real guy, but he wasn't like an evil person. Yeah, like, he didn't have an affair with the, the pharaoh's wife. But the thing with Emotep, and he's actually played by, what's his name? He's a South African actor. Hold on, I got right here. Arnold Vosloos, who we, I'm sure you've seen in other stuff as well, everybody. Um, he does a, a phenomenal job because Emotep is a complex character because he's like this lover who you empathize with because he's, you know, wants to be with the Nuxana moon. Yeah. But then he's also a man-eating mummy. <laughs> <laughs> but you you empathize with him. You understand yeah. him. So yeah. it's back and forth, you know, yeah. back and forth relationship with this guy. Yeah, and he's pretty gross looking at first. But the thing with Emotep, and I love how we learn about the curse that was put upon him because once it's found out that he had this affair with Anuxana moon, after he tries to take her body to Hamanapcha to uh, restore her life through that ritual, when they find out what, during the ritual so they can't, finish the yeah. being carried out. He gets the curse of Hamdai put on him. Well, his priests, they get mummified alive, which is horrible enough. But the curse of Hamdai, the ritual involves cutting out of his tongue, mummifying him alive, and sealing him in a sarcophagus filled with the carnivorous scarab beetles. And the curse transforms Emotep into an undead fiend kept in a state of living death with the intention that he would suffer being eaten alive by the scarabs for all time. However, if he's ever revived, he would gain control over sand and other elements together with being virtually invincible. So you get superpowers, but also you're getting eaten by scarab beetles forever. Man, those scarab beetles were the worst part about the movie. For they were all, terrifying. terrifying. I was scared of I, beetles yeah, for, for I years. To, I used to think they were real. I thought for a while they were real things. And I was like, I'm never going to Egypt because I, I don't want to go near them. I wonder if there were, uh, obviously there's scarab beetles, but no, like, they were, but they just eating. They, they ate like like it's like piranhas. other insects, yeah. and like I think they would chew on corpses. They didn't like eat people alive, yeah, because they were so tiny they could possibly do that. Ugh, terrible. But they were that's one of the best elements of the movie, the scarab beetles. Like especially when that first one we see crawls into that guy's arm all over his body. Oh yeah, oh and then like, up his and, head, and then yeah, and then his in his in his in his chest and stuff. That was terrifying. This movie's really scary. Yeah, it's terrifying. They don't make kids' movies like this anymore. It's a good, like, horror element yeah. to it, too. I believe it was PG-13, but I, I think we were, yeah, we were, like, 9 or 10 when it came out, so we saw this when we were young. Yeah, it's PG-13. Yeah. Versus National Treasure, I think that is PG. 2001. It's PG. Yeah. But the thing with The Mummy is it has everything you need in an adventure film. You know, we have... We have great humor, we have romance, we have great sets and locations, and, you know, we're traveling different areas. Uh, we have the horror elements, we have the ancient cultures, we have treasure maps. We also have the concept of, like, guns and swords and, and dynamite versus this supernatural power. And there's so much, like, you, there's that great horse-slash-camel chase to the hidden city, yeah. which is so much fun. And when the, the mirage appears, it's like, oh, my God, that's so wild. Yeah. And there's so many elements. This, and that, op that opening battle when Rick gets separated from the army and, and he discovers, like, the tomb of Imhotep, which scares him away. 
that was that's a great action sequence. So there's so much to it. And then the third act of the movie, it reminds me of a Chris Nolan third act movie where there's three different things going on at the same time. <laughs> Evie, Jonathan, Evie's fighting uh, Noxinomun. Rick's fighting the the guards as well as Emo, uh, uh, the guards, and then Emotep is chasing down Jonathan for the book. Oh yeah, you're right. So you have that triptych three act structure of three things happening simultaneously. Except no no time elements. No time elements, yeah. <laughs> but it's how Nolan does his third act. Yeah, but I think obviously the best part of the Mummy franchise is Brendan Fraser. And it's so unfortunate that he basically disappeared from Hollywood for so long. You know, he's his belief, and I think a lot of people believe that he was blacklisted because according to him, you know, he was biggest star in the world probably you know he's in the mummy franchise he and was, then he was in journey, to journey of the earth. Earth. and then he was in some good uh independent movies dramatic but th- ones but then his career he was doing like voicing characters on the fairly odd porn odd parents he was doing tv movies he wasn't doing big roles yes he kind of had a resurgence recently where he was on doom patrol but again he's a character with a metal face and an altered voice and he that we're talking biggest star in the world to you're voicing a second rate comic book character and like every yeah. every outlet's writing articles about you every year like what happened to brendan fraser yeah and so what happened to him is he claims he was sexually accosted by the former head of the president of the hollywood foreign press agency and Phil- now the hfp they handle the golden globes yeah and they're s- international critics yeah and so this alleged encounter made him retreat from the spotlight and also put forward the argument that offered other major roles to studios those offers stopped coming from him. his phone stopped ringing because i'm sure that if this you know if he's if he's being honest about what happened that the Hollywood foreign press were like, stop giving him roles. Like, I don't, we don't want him in movies anymore. And it's not like his career died. He had just done Journey to the Center of the Earth, which was a big hit. Yeah, such, huge. such a big hit that for the sequel, they cast Dwayne Johnson mm-hmm. in his role, basically. Not the same character, but taking over his part, basically. Yeah, and then Fraser recently, thank, thank goodness for the Time's Up campaign, the Me Too movement, he took that as a way to confidently come forward and speak out against what happened to him. And, and recently, the last year and a half, we've seen him coming back, and he just got cast in a Martin Scorsese movie, and he's got a bunch of other films and projects working. And, you know, it's it's so great to see him back because everyone loves Brendan Fraser. Yeah. It, every time we post a clip about Fraser, people become ecstatic. They should Like, we did the clip uh, announcing his casting in the Scorsese movie, and there, I think there are 3,000 comments of people just sending love, so happy that he's in a major yeah. movie again. The King is back. Yeah, and it's not, and yes, he's working on Doom Patrol, but like we're talking like big Hollywood movie with the best director of all time. And, he's, like, and he doesn't deal. have a metal mask. Yeah. You get to see his face. It's a big deal. It's a, a big step up. And not that he wasn't in other projects where you could see his face recently, but this is a Martin Scorsese movie with yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. and Robert De Niro. Yeah. Like, there's a difference between, oh, he's been doing stuff the last few years and doing a Scorsese movie. Yeah, exactly. And, and also, I think he represents, like, uh, I think a lot of people maybe wouldn't have assumed that someone, a man could have been a victim of a Me Too type situation. And so I think he's definitely bringing to light that the industry can be toxic for, even for men. Yeah, same thing with Terry Crews. He yeah, had a very similar exactly, situation yeah. happen to him. And it's it's great that everyone's coming to speak forward about, you know, there's a lot of bad people in this business in Hollywood. So it's good to finally get rid of them, hear voices and yeah. Yeah, get new people in there. And the Hollywood Foreign Press, you know, they've kind of been canceled the last two years for other reasons as well. Yeah. But it's so great to have the king back in town. Yeah, we love him. Oh, yeah, he's the best. <laughs> but this movie, it's so much fun. It has everything you want in a Hollywood blockbuster, and it it does. It's just hits every beat. It's all the jokes land, all the scary elements work. The special effects are amazing. I I really love the plagues. You know, mm-hmm. like we haven't seen that since um. What was the animated movie? Prince of Egypt. Prince of Egypt. And seeing the the plagues fall upon Earth, so cool. The story. I th- I think the script is really great. 
And it was so good that apparently, from what I read, Leonardo DiCaprio wanted to do The Mummy, and he wanted to play Rick O'Connell. And they wanted him too, but uh, he had the commitment to the beach, and because he filmed The Beach, he wasn't able to do The Mummy. But he wanted to be Rick O'Connell. That's yeah. how good the script is. Yeah, the script is phenomenal because I think the characters are so well-written, but also every character, their goals are very well done. And, you know, Rick's goal is to... He's, he's at first got a greedy goal. He's just out for himself. He's selfish. He wants to get paid. He's like, he doesn't care or whatever. I'll take you there as long as you pay me. And then uh, Evelyn's there for the history and, and the discovery of ancient things. And then Jonathan's there for greed as well. But also the Americans, they're there for greed. Everyone's clear-cut motivation. Then uh, Emotep, his motivation is to resurrect his, his long-lost love. And also I love his storyline and his arc of where he's trying to find his organs and his canopic jars to... Fully rejuvenate himself. Bro, and, where are my organs? Yeah, where's my, my liver? liver? <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> That's a twin thing right there. Emotep. And even Benny. Benny's a great character. Yeah, even yeah. though you, he's despicable, he's still a very fun character because he's very intelligent because he knows several languages. And yeah. I love how he, he constantly changes his allegiances out of self-preservation because even in the battle in the beginning, he's, he's on Rick's side, but then he abandons Rick as soon as they come charging. So mm -hmm. he's in these con then he's with the Americans trying to get their allegiance and work for them. And and then he's working for Emotep, so he just does what he is best for survival for yeah. him. Look who's on the wrong side of the river. Who look who's got all the horses, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets what he deserves in the end. Oh, absolutely. And oh my god, when he's surrounded by the scarab beetles and then the, the fire goes out. Yeah. Oh man, it's epic. But he, but he has so many great scenes too. And I think I, the first time he meets Emotep is one of my favorite scenes in the movie where again he's he knows so many languages and he has all those different religious necklaces around his neck and he's trying yeah. to figure out which necklace and which religious religion should I yeah. pray to for him to recognize and spare me exactly and then and, he finds the right one but I think the best one of the best moments is when we f finally see the mummy's face because the first guy he kills we see him out of focus and then we see the guy's reaction to him oh yeah because so, he doesn't have his glasses yeah, on so we don't see what he looks like but Evelyn sees him for the first time as long as well as the audience and that's when we first get our first great look at the mummy and it is terrifying yeah and again the CGI is very good in this movie and especially the the sandstorm CGI looks great yeah. when it's trying to eat him up in in the plane and everything so I think they just do a very good job overall with this movie production elements when it comes to doing CGI in 1999 yeah I think this movie is a home run and I really adore it yeah and again it's a, it's a great movie we love it so much you want to do some fun facts yeah let's do it let's do it uh, Brendan Fraser nearly died during that opening scene when he's about to be hanged by the noose and Rachel Weiss said that the noose actually did strangle him by accident it wasn't supposed to but it knocked him out and he stopped breathing and Brendan Fraser had to be resuscitated back to life. So he was dead for some time, technically. It was like 15 seconds. Yeah. He might not, he was probably wasn't dead. He's just unconscious. Unconscious. Oh, what does resuscitated mean? You just, they can just blow off. Jump starting and jump starting your lungs? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. 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 So his, I think his lungs stopped and it, maybe his heart stopped for a little bit, but it sounds, the story's better when you say that he almost died. He almost died. I'm gonna, well, he did I'm, almost die. I'm going to embellish sure. it in TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brendan Fraser was cast due to the success of George of the Jungle in 1997. Stephen Summers also commented, commented that he felt Fraser hit the Errol Flynn swashbuckling character he had envisioned perfectly. The actor understood that his character doesn't take himself too seriously. Otherwise, the audience can't go on that journey with him. That's what Brendan Fraser brings. I think the studio, they didn't want him at first because... He seemed like a kind of a goofy, charming guy, but that's what's so great about the Rick O'Connell characters. Even though he's he looks like a super super action, super buff and and like 
How buff? John, <laughs> the jawline, the hair. He looks like an action hero. He's also charming, but also very goofy at the same time, which is a perfect blend. Yeah, and Errol Flynn, he was famous for playing Robin Hood, so you can see the comparison between Robin Hood and this character for sure. An Egyptologist was brought in to phonetically render what ancient Egyptian, ancient Egyptian might have sounded like for the dialogue. That's pretty interesting. So ancient Egyptian was different from regular Egyptian, just how English changed. And this film was actually shot in Morocco on real locations in the real desert, real sandstorms, you know, that were shutting down production and stuff like that. And so the cast and crew had to constantly deal with things like scorpions and snakes and, and animals and stuff like that and, you know, extreme heat and stuff like that. So that's what I think it makes it so special is it's a, they're at real deserts. It's not Egypt, but they're pretty close and a similar looking aesthetic. But also I think they finished a lot of it up on sound stages in England, I believe. Many crew members had to be airlifted out to the hospital after being bitten by things like spiders and scorpions. Ugh. If I saw a scorpion, I'd be like, I'm done. See you later. <laughs> Bye, guys. Good luck on the shoot. I'd be in a hazmat suit walking around. <laughs> just no, no open seals. I think I've only seen a scorpion once in my life. What, at a zoo? In nature. Where? At camp. When? Um, Prospect Hill Camp. There aren't we saw a little there's one. scorpions in Massachusetts. It was just one. I don't know. I'm if sure there's some. Are you sure you saw a scorpion? Positive. Search. I'm sure there's scorpions in Mass. Maybe. Are scorpions indigenous in Massachusetts? Uh, I don't have Wi-Fi, so I can't look right now. Well, anyways. Anyways. <laughs> the, the white nightgown Evelyn wore when the ship was attacked became transparent when it got wet. So that had to be digitally painted white during post-production so the film could keep its PG-13 rating. You know the editor probably took a lot. He was like, I needed like another month with this. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his own raw files. Oh my God, he probably does. We're a sick guy. Even though we're... Even though we're <laughs> <laughs> He's probably a sweetheart. <laughs> He's probably some old man. Just like, oh, she did such a great job. <laughs> <laughs> He's like putting sticky notes on his computer so he doesn't have to look at it. <laughs> oh, man. We just attributed a perfect category to that guy. He's probably a sweet guy. <laughs> George Romero actually almost made The Mummy. He wrote an original script for it in 1994, but then Summers made an 18-page treatment of the story, and he got hired to make it. And according to Stephen Summers, like you said, Universal phoned him the morning after it premiered, being like, yo, we need another one of these guys. Let's go, Mummy 2. Yeah, Romero probably went all horror, not fun and, and adventure -y. Probably a little too much, yeah. yeah. And according to Stephen Summers, the director, now this is back when CGI was still, and it's... It's relatively new, and they were still developing the technology, so it was very expensive. And every single uh, visual effect shot cost $125,000. Holy crap. Yeah. That's insane. Because the, the amount of manpower and computer power to make each digital effect was a lot back then. I mean, even Toy Story just came out in 1995, so yeah. you can only imagine. And the, I mean, The Matrix was great, too, but yeah. it was still in its infancy, basically. Mm -hmm. All right, let's, uh, let's uh, head on into our intermission. But actually, before we go into our intermission... If I was buried alive inside a tomb in 1290 BC, I would make sure that I brought my lawnmower 4.0 trimmer with me to ensure that when I'm reunited with my Anuxana moon that I'm looking my best. <laughs> Head on over to manscaped.com to get the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer using our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. This brand new groomer is waterproof, skin safe, has a 7,000 RPM motor wireless charger, built-in light. It's amazing. You can use it in the shower if you want. You can shut the lights off and just do it in the shower with that. <laughs> <laughs> Fellas, Watch out for them scarab beetles. Their, their products in general are just fantastic. I mean, their briefs are super-duper comfortable. Their cologne smells legit. We don't even wear cologne, but they sent us in. Now we now, do. Now we yeah. do. Um, their, their wipes are super convenient, too. 
If you need to freshen up real quick, fellas, get to manscaped.com. Use our coupon code to get some products. Everyone listening, if you got a man in your life and you don't know what to get them for gifts, for anniversaries, birthdays, uh, take a hint, gift, anything you want, go to manscaped.com. Coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping worldwide because these are gifts that guys will actually use. I swear by these products. They are so legit. And yeah, also their performance package 4.0 is a pretty great. It has a bunch. It's a bundle basically of great stuff. Save a ton of money yes, that yes, way. Good stuff. But anyways, let's head into our intermission. Let's go. And the first part of our intermission will be the movie quote competition. I have two. One from a fan, one from me. The quote from a fan, it's Patty Marie. And, oh, hey, Patty. And um, she has two quotes from one movie that I'll I'll try to do the voices for pretty okay. well. Him too afraid to get out. He just a little guy. And then, ugh, I can actually hear you getting fatter. That's in the same movie? Yeah. Say it again. Him too afraid to get out. He just a little guy. <laughs> and say the second one. Ugh, I can actually hear you getting fatter. <sighs> oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know it. That guy in, in a little <laughs> coat. Um, what's it called? Not Black Sheep, the other one. It's a better one. I can't remember what it's called. Can't remember? Yeah. Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy. Classic. Great, great one. Classic. Great one. And then this Oh, is... I think I have a fan one too. You okay. can say this one while you while I look for it. Okay, this is this one's for me. Don't this dollar biblioteca. Um oh I should know this. Don't ask Dollar Biblioteca. <laughs> I don't know. Dodgeball. Oh, White Dodgeball, yeah. Oh, my God. How did I not know that one? I like to break a mental sweat. <laughs> You're reading the dictionary? Caught me. I read it in a book. <laughs> we should mate. Date. We should date. Socially. All right, here's my quote. He better be worth it. He better go home and cure a disease or invent a longer-lasting light bulb or something. Oh, what is this? Say it again. He better be worth it. He better go home and cure disease or invent a longer-lasting light bulb. Or I know something. what this is. I got this. What is it? I'll give everyone a moment. Saving Private Ryan. That's correct. Nice. All right. Guess this movie release year. Sherlock Jr. Buster Keaton movie. 1934. 10 years off, 1924. Shit. Silent film, bro. There are silent films in the 30s. Eh, there's turned into talkies. Plenty of silent films in the 30s. Eh, turn into talkies. Um, all right, your turn. The original Planet of the Apes. 19. How old is the first one? I don't know. 69. It's close. <sighs> 68. Oh, I almost said 60. I, I, I don't, but whatever. did you, though? I didn't. Did you die, though? <laughs> but did you die? Um, movie pop quiz time. In Gone Girl, what is the name of the bar that Amy buys Nick? Oh. It's called The Bar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very meta. <laughs> Have I read the book? No, i just seen it a bunch. Okay. What was Arnold Schwarzenegger's first line as the Terminator? Give me your clothes. Not yet. Right before that. But you're thinking of the right scene. What's he say? I don't know. 
nice night for a walk. Ah. Uh, because the guys say that to him. They're like, hey, nice night for a walk, huh? Yeah. And then he goes, nice night for a walk. All right. Biggest hater of the week. I have TikTok because they blocked us again from posting for two days. Goddamn TikTok. So we've been blocked for six days of the last 10 days from posting videos. It's pretty ridiculous. Well, and you posted a clip of Mission Impossible. It's behind the scenes of yeah. Mission Impossible, a train crash. Probably shouldn't have done it, but I thought it was cool. So I have um, a hater and also a top comment in the same. Oh, okay. So I posted a video of Rain of Fire, uh, and that Larkin said, Suggestion. Please hashtag the name of the movie you're referencing. It's frustrating swimming through the comments to find it. So that's the hater because who cares? It Go takes you two seconds to Google Christian Bale dragons. It's crazy, man. Yeah. I'm Three sorry I ruined your life. God forbid you, you hop on Google on your own. Or even just scroll down for two seconds and see 20 people wrote, I love Rain of Fire. You, I, we even say the words Rain of Fire in the clip. Yeah. The opening yeah, line I is it. in Rain of Fire. Yeah, I said it. Unreal, nuts, but then Jammer God uh, defended us and said, "Chill out." So that, <laughs> that was my favorite comment of the week. All right, uh, biggest supporter of the week we have Hoaf two thousand six left a great review. So fun! I can't say enough good things about this podcast. I saw the clips on TikTok and followed them here. James and Anthony remind me of my friends and I ranting and raving about movies. This is a fantastic podcast. Unsubscribe! Unsubscribe! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, pal. Um, on this day in film history, Slumdog Millionaire premiered at the Telluride Film Festival in 2008. Roma re was released in 2018. The Favorite was released in 2018. Inglorious Bastards, 2009. Tropic Thunder, 2008. Straight Outta Compton, 2015. Pusher, 1996. And it's also Cameron Diaz's birthday. Happy birthday, Cameron. We're sure you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, my streaming recommendation <laughs> is Anaconda on Amazon Oh, Prime. no way. It's just a fun, it's a ridiculous movie, but it's fun. It's a great movie. John, uh, what's his name? Um, what's his, um, oh, John Voight. John Voight is, yeah. is the, the villain in it. It's so yeah. great. Jennifer, Ice Cube. Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, it's great. Um, who, Cole Hauser. Cole Hauser's in it? Yeah, he gets the throat in. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And then Owen Wilson's in it, too. Yeah, Owen Wilson, yeah. He's a supporting, like, comic yeah. relief guy. My streaming recommendation is The Wrestler just came out on Amazon Prime. Darren Aronofsky's one of his best movies, and Mickey Rourke gave an amazing performance with uh, Evan Rachel Wood as well, so check that out. Mm -hmm. Crazy movie. All right, and let's head on back into our episode and start talking about National Treasure. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Which came out in 2004. A historian races to find the legendary Templar treasure before a team of mercenaries. Directed by John Turtletaub, this movie is fun, fun, fun. My one one big knock is the music can be very cheesy at times. The music is very cheesy, especially it, the action music. It's, it's like electric dun, dun, guitar. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, it's it's all right. That's speed too. That's speed. Well, it's very similar. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. It's you speed. just did speed. No, that's not National Treasure. It's National Treasure goes rocky, like with drums and guitar for all the action. Okay, scenes. you're right. It Either way, it's work. cheesy. Either yeah. way, it's cheesy. This on Rotten Tomatoes is at forty six percent critic score, and then seventy six percent audience score. There we go. Destroyed by critics. We I forgot to give the. The mummy one, but oh what well. is the mummy one? Um, I have to Google it. I don't have Wi-Fi right now. But okay. like I said, National Treasure, despite its flaws, it's a national treasure in this movie. <laughs> in this movie, Nicolas Cage steals the Declaration of Independence, and everyone agrees with it that it was ultimately the right thing to do. The film suggests that Freemasons hid clues to the world's greatest treasure on our money, and now we believe it because Nicol Nicolas Cage said it. And it's more of a great bad film yeah. that is a great movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think like, that's why The Mummy won the vote. Yeah, The Mummy's a great movie. Yeah. It, it's a it's a phenomenal movie, but the Nas National Treasure 
you watch it, it's like, I'm having fun, but also, what the fuck are they doing? Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah, it, that's where I think the National Treasure is more of a guilty pleasure than The Mummy, because yeah. The Mummy's really, really great. And National Treasure has a lot of great elements to it and a lot of fun moments, but also there are moments where it's just like, a little cheese ball. Yeah, it's like the car chase after they steals. It was like pretty cheesy. Yeah, not not super well done, but it gets the job done. You could nitpick the crap out of this yeah. movie, but still, it's just a blast. I mean, the cast is great though. We have Nicolas Cage, Diane Kruger, Sean Bean doesn't die, Harvey Keitel, Christopher Plummer, John Lithgow, Justin Bartha, Eric King. So like, John Voight's in it too. Did I, yeah, you said John Lithgow instead of John. Oh Blake. my bad. I, that's the second They're time. They're different I, people. Why, I, you why, just did it twice. I did it twice. That's so weird. They don't even look alike. They're just both old white guys. <laughs> <laughs> All old white guys look the same, man. At some point, every old white guy looks exactly the same. Just like an old wrinkly face, just like pushed together. <laughs> Everyone looks like the old man from Up. Yeah, basically. <laughs> And again, the production value directing, not exactly on par with The Mummy. Visually, it's not blowing you away. Set design, cinematography, anything like that. But man, it still nope. works. I, the production design blows you away. It's a really big movie. And the sets are huge. Some of the sets are trash. What are you talking about? Like, where they're in the changing room of that store. And it's like, first of all... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, I know the I know what you're talking about. They're in a, they're in an Urban Outfitters. Is and, it Urban Outfitters? Yeah, this is and they're both in changing rooms next to each other. Daniel Craig and Nick Cage, but no, it's Di- <laughs> Daniel Craig. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's way worse than John. <laughs> Nick Cage. At least they're both blonde. No, Nick Cage and Daniel Craig are love interests in this movie. <laughs> I don't know how that came out. <laughs> Daniel Craig. <laughs> but Diane Kruger <laughs> and Nick Cage are changing at in uh, adjoining stalls. And the doors to the changing rooms are like four feet high, so they're talking to each other out over the doors. It's like that would be a horrible thing to put in a store. Anyone could just like walk over and look who inside the changing room. You can see right through, basically. Yeah. So okay, there are that's the point. There are points that are cool and points that aren't cool. But like the that ship in Antarctica is super cool. Yeah, yeah. The whole sequence. Was awesome. that Charlotte? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Charlotte. And then uh, the the treasure room is insane. And the t- the tombs are very cool. So yeah, yeah. I give. There yeah. are great elements. Yeah, to there it. are. There are. Yeah. You know, I'm just. It's not as artistic. We you stopped know? destroying it. <laughs> but no, but Daniel it, Craig loves this movie. <laughs> I love Daniel Craig and Nick Cage chemistry in this movie. <laughs> but but it still works though. It works so well because yeah. we have great actors. We have a very fast paced plot that's always moving and taking us in exciting new directions. We have the great mysteries. It's nostalgic. Nostalgic. It's like taking a history class in elementary school and high school where we're learning about some fun facts and trivia about American history. There's a lot of fun like problem solving, decoding. We have anagrams. It's clever. Um, there's thievery. It's, it's basically a heist movie too at the same time. And again, we have a- almost ancient, no, ancient treasures as well as like secrets from a couple hundred years ago. And again, Sean Bean doesn't die. And it basically has the exact same archetype story-wise and character-wise as The Mummy. I'm, I guarantee... The Mummy inspired this movie because Nick Cage is Rick O'Connell, a charming, funny lead character. And then Diane Kruger, you could say, is like Evelyn, very intelligent, knows more. I would say, although Benjamin knows as much about the history as Abigail, but she definitely helps a lot along the way and is very intelligent. Riley is basically Jonathan. And then Ian, Sean Bean, is the Mummy. You could say that. Imo- yeah. Imhotep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can get on and top of that. All, and they're all going after the same thing. Although Benjamin's wardrobe in this movie is straight trash. Like, yeah. there's that one outfit where he's like, their first meeting with Diane Kruger's character. Oh, it's so bad. He's got like a black suit jacket on. Then he has like a white Macy's button up with yeah. the collar super popped. Out, over the lapel. It looks like Saturday yeah. Night Fever, but like pretty bad. I like, think that Nick Cage designed that himself. He probably showed up I, yeah. like, this is women aware <laughs> with these blue jeans, too. Oh, we don't need wardrobe. Versus Rick O'Connell's wardrobe again. Oh, yeah, with the Levi's. Yeah. <laughs> it looks so bad. Versus Rick O'Connell. Rick O'Connell is iconic. In versus Rick O'Connell, I would say that 
it seems like Benjamin, they wanted to be more of like a James Bond kind of vibe in terms of like not the full on action stuff, but I think the charisma in a way. They wanted to be more like James Bond vibe. So Daniel Craig. So yeah, again, <laughs> Daniel Craig and Nicolas Cage are the same person in this movie. But um, what I really love, I'm, I think was really fascinating about American history that they put into this movie is the idea of the Masons, the Freemasons. We saw, we actually went to a Freemason temple in D.C. Yeah, it's cool. And it was one of the most beautiful, beautifully designed interiors ever ever seen in my life. Their architecture was really unique. Um, their symbology and the, their dedication to symbology, the history of symbols and uh, calligraphy. Really, Say symbol one more time. Yeah, symbol symbology. <laughs> really fascinating culture, and it's like a secret society that still is very prevalent, but we don't know anything about it. Still, very mysterious, mm -hmm. very intriguing, and it did start way back when before the country was even founded. And I think it's putting that into the story really helped add to the intrigue of the movie itself. Yeah, if anyone's ever been to Washington D.C., it's a really stunning city because the architecture is like un is unlike any other city in America, really. And a lot of it was based off Greek and Roman architecture from their ancient cultures, like Acropolis, the Pantheon, all the domes, the Duomos, the Arch of Constantine. So they all the the, the creators and founders of this country when they were building Washington D.C took a ton of influence from those cultures and it's really apparent it's, it's a stunning place to go visit to check out if you love architecture and buildings and stuff like that but also the great conspiracy theories of washington dc <laughs> and like what's underneath like all these secret tunnels and like crypts and like george washington's crypt that's supposed to be like under the capitol building that he was never really supposed to be buried in but what else is under there and like what are the secrets of america that all these elite people who probably no, they have every, oh, yeah. they know everything. Like the eyes wide shut, people. What know. are they hiding yeah. from us? Like what's really going on? The there? super elites. Yeah, because it's just like the pyramids, where it's like they're perfectly aligned with constellations, and like they know exactly where the north and south poles are, even though it's twelve two thousand BC when they built them. It's like, and then same thing with Washington D.C. and they have all different elements that relate to spirituality, uh, space, and 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 history, history, and all yeah. sorts of cool stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's fascinating culture wise, and also. Speaking of the Declaration and the Constitution especially, they drew from from those ancient cultures the ideas and themes of what would go into the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. So uh, the Founding Fathers uh, very much followed what many philosophers, many kinds of governments were tried out in Rome and Greek and those kinds of cultures mm -hmm. as well. And this movie, it has very good protagonists and very good antagonists. You know, Sean Bean as the antagonist is very effective, like he always usually is when he plays a villain. But it seems, he is essentially the James Bond villain in this movie. Well, the same he, thing. he plays this, yeah, the same yeah. guy from Goldeneye. Yeah. Same, same person, basically. They're friends at first, and then he turns on them. Yeah. But you can say that that Benjamin kind of hosed them in a way because he's like funding all these excavations and in, in, in trips to try to find this treasure. And you can tell that like when they're in Charlotte, and he's like, I thought you said the treasure would be here. And Nick's like, I said it might be here or it could be here. <laughs> and then the look that Sean Bean does, he's like, oh, my God, this I'm going like to kill the, this guy. This is like the 12th expedition you know we've many, been on. You know how many uh, buried ships we've been in, man? Yeah, you can only imagine how many things they've tried out. Exactly. Yeah. So he's probably sick of it. And it will lead to another clue. <laughs> and that will lead to another clue. <laughs> so Sean Bean's character is just, is just sick of Benjamin's BS. Yeah. So you can understand why he turns on him. And he wants to be in control of the whole situation. I actually, now. I don't blame him. Honestly, <laughs> trying to kill him is a little too much. When you but... look at it that way, though, it's like, bro, I put like ten million dollars into this, and also, like, why would you blow that ship up? It would probably be very valuable to sell that to a museum or something. It's a movie, man. Yeah. And I... would that gunpowder still be like, like, be able to be ignited? 
I don't know. Flammable. That's the word I'm trying to think of in my tiny brain. Still be ignited. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes when you're talking for so long, the, the, oh, word, I, I know. the words don't come. I call Diane Kruger Daniel Craig. I, <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're talking about. But at least you know they're in an orbit, Urban Outfitters. And But they're both blonde, so I was close. Anyways, let's get back to Ian is the, the lead villain in this film. And he it, it's it's a good plot because he's constantly on the tail behind Benjamin and then obviously gets the upper hand a few times with him where you know Benjamin tricks him by giving him the fake declaration of independence that he just conveniently goes inside that little store to buy an exact replica of the declaration of independence and a couple of flip-flops and switches and then and then Ian can do anything with the computer basically <laughs> no not Ian it's um uh, Riley Riley, Riley yeah. yeah it's just like we posted that meme on Instagram where it's like hackers and movies be like all right I'm in <laughs> I'm in with with the glowing neon yeah. shoes and already in within seconds. But I really I was I really like that sequence where they reveal like the kind of protections that are upon these documents like what exactly is protect like the laser lights and the ins- insane sensory like all these crazy things that the government puts in place to protect the most sacred documents in the country. What's even cooler is that they somehow found that all on Google. <laughs> <laughs> like PDFs able to be downloaded and everything. <laughs> oh, okay, thanks for the blueprints on how to steal the Declaration of Independence. No problems. You want to know the layout of the of the entire building? No it's, problem. Hey, we also have an Agala next week. You want to steal it during that? We'll probably you know, be distracted. You know what would be a good time for you to steal the Declaration? <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny because it's it's trying to be Mission Impossible in yeah. Oceans at the same time, yeah, but yeah. it's like, how does he know all this information? Like, he's never really stolen stuff before. Yeah, but Riley can do anything. Yeah, Riley can just <laughs> plug in. So I think that Ian's character, I mean, um, Benjamin's character, if I remember correctly, he is a expert diver and was a rescue diver. So he has um, experience in terms of, like, stealing declarations. <laughs> <laughs> I get it now. That makes sense. I mean, you have so, any documents are in the ocean? <laughs> so, like, so, like, if the Declaration of Independence was, like, 100 feet underwater, he'd know how to grab Benjamin's it. Benjamin's your guy. <laughs> <laughs> this is a silly episode. That's something they missed in the movie. Like, he's an expert diver and was a rescue diver, but they didn't do anything with water in well, this no, he movie. Ju- he jumps off the off the bridge. Oh, never mind. Off the pier. <laughs> Way off. <laughs> Six year daily Craig, daily Craig stuff. He jumps off the pier because yeah, he yeah. double when, crosses yeah. the FBI. Yeah, Harvey when they have Harvey's like, where is he? Harvey's a, a fun FBI agent because, it, like, he's just like the city talking. He's just Harvey Keitel. Yeah, but it's it's so funny how like. They constantly let Benjamin get away with everything. He's like, as long as someone goes to prison, I don't care. He's like, you, you've committed all these crimes, Benjamin. You stole the Declaration of Independence. But you know what? Thanks for telling us where Ian's going to be. We'll just take him instead. Who's going to prison? Somebody always goes to prison. <laughs> I'm closing my eyes and I'm pointing. <laughs> Ian! It's basically a get-out-of-jail-free car as long yeah. as you just leave it to someone else they to gave get in trouble. Him, they, yeah, they gave him a pass because he found the treasure. How is that a good thing for the government? Like... How, did, well, well, how does do, that expunge him of crimes? They do care a lot about money. Well, no, it's because he saved the declaration. He still stole it. Yeah, but he saved it. He still stole, he still stole it. He did steal it. Committed a lot of crimes. Yeah. And I technically kind of kidnapped Diane Kruger's character. No, she comes willing. She went, she went voluntarily. All right, yeah, true. Yeah. But, I mean, if Ian did it, they could have called it kidnapping. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> so it was ridiculous. It's a lot of fun, though. Yeah, it's great. And I, Nick Cage and Diane Kruger are a lot of fun together. I'm not sure they have quite the same chemistry as... Rachel Weisz and Brendan Fraser, though. Yeah, I don't fully believe that they're like in love with you or falling in love with each other yeah. even towards the end. But I, but when they're together at the end, you're like, oh, it makes yeah, sure. yeah. I like it. They could date for a couple months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't work out though. But you're right. It basically, and then the the second one is just like it, where they're very rich and they've you know sold off a bunch of treasure and yeah, just another new mystery. They get, I I think they get one percent. No, half of one percent. No, they get one percent. Riley wanted to get ten percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. then it's like the reveal, like, oh, we only get one percent, but it's like two hundred million. Yeah, 
which is pretty cool. It's pretty nuts. I have to tell you about MoviePosters.com, the best place to get your posters online today. We have a brand new coupon code with the website, so our old one will not work anymore. It got shared too much online, yeah, yeah, so it, a lot of people are using it. Yeah, it was, it's out on the internet, so you, this is just for our show. We've changed it, so now the coupon code is Raiders15OFF. Again, Raiders15OFF. So if you use that code at MoviePosters.com, you will get 15% off your entire order. They have an incredibly large selection of movie posters, every kind of size, framing, backlighting, pretty much every movie imaginable. MoviePosters.com has it. This is high-quality stuff, and don't go to Amazon for the free shipping. It's not worth it because the quality is not good. We have it in our set. We have, what, like two dozen of these posters, and they look fantastic. Again, go to MoviePosters.com, use our coupon code RAIDERS15OFF, and get 15% off that order today. But, again, it's fun because we're on a treasure hunt, and we're learning all these secrets about Benjamin Franklin and, and the, the glasses that change oh, the glasses, with, yeah. with whatever you're looking at with the different colors, and something is actually written on the back of the Declaration of Independence, and God forbid, like, they put lemon juice on it. It's just like, <laughs> all right, I guess that I guess that'll work. Don't worry. And then uh, I love how Riley's always like the third wheel. Like he's never getting to look at anything. And like, sure. like he's just begging them to use the glasses and he doesn't get a chance to. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> and it will lead to another clue. <laughs> John Voight, man. It's so funny because he's like, I wasted 20 years of my life. What were you doing? Yeah. You didn't have a single clue. <laughs> what were you doing for 20 years, John Voight? I don't know. He's... You had the letters. He got the letters. That was that, it. That's about it. But but you gave him away to the museum. I, but I will say the only thing, the one clue that I think is wouldn't work is the Liberty Bell clue with the with the shadow, because obviously every year, every season, the exact position of the sun to the to the planet is different. It changes over over the course of the year, and so they would have to get to that clue at the right day of the year for it to actually work. So the odds of that happening. A little too hard to believe. You're you're nitpicking way too much, man. I'm just kidding. That's everything about this movie you can nitpick. Yeah, the whole movie's ridiculous. But it's there's fun. something written on the back of the Declaration of Independence, and they steal it. Well, there actually is something written on the. You back You know what would have been better if they were just like, "Hey, FBI, someone's gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. This is this guy's Ian's name. Uh, even if he steals, because even if he steals the Declaration, Ian does. The FBI would be like, "Oh, it's probably this guy, Ian. Let's go find him." <laughs> and movie's over. Yeah, true. But that's not fun. It is not fun. It's a lot more fun when we're watching Nick Cage and Diane Kruger going on this fun no, mission. Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. <laughs> Nick Cage and Daniel Craig in a budding romance going on a treasure hunt, going inside the Liberty Bell, pulling bricks out and getting these magic glasses, and putting lemon juice on the Declaration of Independence, and then getting shot at holding the Declaration of Independence. It's a blast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a good time. And this one clearly had a lot of inspiration. I think more inspired by Indy than The Mummy because of the way he, especially at the end when they entered that, that um, what's it called? The church with the tombs in it mm. and that's where they find the treasure. Very much reminded me of Last Crusade yeah. when they're in the library and they enter that tomb on the bottom. Yeah, it's cool. It's fun. Yeah. And then this movie on a budget of $100 million, it grossed $347 million worldwide. Also DVD sales. Yeah, so get factored. This is this is why I don't understand why Disney still hasn't tried to reboot it, even though they made the second one. You but want a reboot? What is wrong with you? Well, you could probably do a good one with a good director. Aren't you sick of reboots though? No, I meant I meant a third sequel. Oh, third movie with Nick. Yeah, with Nick, of yeah, course. You gotta have Nick Cage. But he probably doesn't want, like, like we said, doesn't want to do studio movies anymore. Yeah, no way. Ones, yeah, which is why he was in Pig, in Mandy, in the last ten movies. Yeah, so we love Nick. Nick is great, but. Yeah, I think that's all I got to say about Want to do some uh, treasure? Let's do it. What you got? Hold on. Let me clear my throat. 
The water in the reflecting pool in front of the Abraham Lincoln Memorial was actually empty during the filming, and they digitally put the water into it. They did the same thing for Forrest Gump when they both run at each other inside of the pool. There was no water currently in it, so they digitized that as well. Cool. Ben Patrick and John Gates are all named after founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin, Patrick Henry, and John Adams. Abigail Chase is a combination of Abigail Adams, wife of John Adams, and Samuel Chase, a signer of the Declaration of Independence, and later an Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. Very cool. And then, you know, I love how John Hancock was just like such a D-bag with the space. He's just like, I'm going to, my name's John Hancock. I know, right? Huge amount of space. Jesus. Everyone else, everyone else is like, I'll leave space first for Imagine Ben. Imagine the reactions of the guys after they saw him. They're like, really, John? No, they are probably like, of course, John. Oh, did obviously. you see John's signature? <laughs> it is huge. Like, can you believe that guy? Like, that guy's ego. Of course, man. <laughs> of course, Johnny. Johnny Hancock. He didn't even write it. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful signature, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's all my trivia. Um, when Gates is purchasing a replica Declaration of Independence in the gift shop, on the counter next to the register is a stack of books for sale. The book is The Secret Architecture of Our Nation's Capital by David Ovasson and is about the Masons in the building of Washington, D.C. Ovasson also wrote Secret Symbols of the Dollar Bill, and U.S. Currency is used as one of the clues in the film. Ooh, nice. That's what I'm saying. You could research stuff and Google stuff about Washington, D.C. architecture for hours and hours. Did Dan Brown ever do an American history one? Um, I don't know. I bet he could do a good one. He's done, yeah, but he's done stuff other than Da Vinci Code. Yeah, like, I know, yeah. He did, like, this hacker book. I can't remember what it's called that I read. It was pretty cool. But um, I don't know if he's done, like, American history, like, treasure hunt like that. Mm. The Liberty Bell shown in this movie was made of styrofoam. The movie was shot a few days before the, before the Liberty Bell. The, the movie was <laughs> shot a few days before the Liberty Bell was put in. This is proven by the fact that protective shades were installed in the observation window when the bell was installed. In the movie, Ian looks exactly where the shades are supposed to be if the real bell was there. No shades. No shades. Um, oh, yeah, I think, I'm, I think I'm good on trivia for this. Yeah. Yeah. We, so, love, we love National Treasure. Yeah, these are, again, just very yeah. fun adventure films. The Mummy, I think, is a superior film to National Treasure, but yeah, it doesn't I'm, mean it's I'm, not a good time. I'm picking The Mummy, too. Yeah, for but sure. But National Treasure is awesome as well. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this adventure episode of The Mummy and National Treasure on Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Be sure to become a patron at patreon.com slash raidersofthelostpodcast.com today. And thanks for tuning in. Take care, everyone. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a mirror image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.